So we're, we're in a series called Win-Win. Um, let me just quickly recap because some of you may not have been here for all of it, okay? So uh, you, if you're in business especially, you've heard the phrase win-win, like W-I-N, W-I-N. And that usually is what we say when, you know, we come to an agreement and I like it and you like it. And it's a win-win, right? As opposed to a win-lose. So this is, this is a series in the Sermon on the Mount, and it is what we're calling the greatest sermon ever preached. It is the greatest sermon ever preached. And in this sermon, Jesus redefines winning. So he says, hey, look, you've heard, and we've been doing this for the last month, um, all these statements. You've heard it was said, like this was the bar, and if you do this, then you win. But now I say, let's do this up here, right? So Jesus raises the bar, and what he's doing is he's redefining what winning looks like. So instead of a checklist, like, hey, if you do these 10 things, you'll be a winner, he's talking about our identity. He's talking about who we really are. He's, he's come to give us a new heart. He's changing us from the inside out. And so what he's going to do in this Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about, hey, when you do certain things, that's going to lead you to victory, okay? So you will win when you do these things. Make sense? So that's kind of where the, that win-win comes from. So I've also told you, I don't know how many times I'd be rich if, I, if it was a lot, but I've told you so many times during this series that there would be moments that you would feel uncomfortable, that I would, you know, we would be talking about things that Jesus is saying, this is who you are, and you would either look at yourself or the person next to you, and you'd be like, uh, no, they're not, right? <laughs> like, no, I'm not. You're saying that this, he says this is who I am, but I'm looking at my life, and it's not measuring up. And in those moments, I've told you it's okay to feel uncomfortable, Right? We should feel that tension just a little bit. I mean, how many of you at some point during this series have felt that? Okay, well, that's great. Um, a couple weeks ago, I did a series on a, a teaching on lying, and some of y'all might need to watch that one again. So um, today, of course, is absolutely no different. We're at the end of chapter 5, and let's just recap chapter 5 in case you've missed any of this. In chapter 5, here's what Jesus has dealt with. Our anger... That's how we started. Our lust, our marriages, and then last week, right, the one that y'all, some of y'all need to go watch again, last week, he talked about our tendency to bend the truth, to, to maybe embellish the truth, and how we should live a life that's so truthful that we wouldn't need to do that. And then to top it all off, <laughs> we get to the end of chapter five, and today, He's going to talk about something that I would, I would suggest most of us have lived our entire adult lives trying to rationalize away. That's a great way to start, isn't it? Every Sunday, I'm amazed that you come back. Every Sunday. Thank you for coming back, right? So think about this. He wants us to be radical, and we tend to want to be rational. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't use our brains, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, think, please think, Right? I'm begging you to use your brains. I know tons of Christians who do not use their brains. So use your brains. He gave it to you. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your... Some of y'all were like, temple? What? Mind and strength, right? So use your mind. It's a good thing. But what, what, what I'm saying is we tend to try to rationalize our way out of the radical call. That he, he's gonna, he is actually going to call us in these verses to a radical love that is not a rational love. So as we read these verses and talk through them, there are going to be times while I'm talking, you're going to take a little mental break, and you're going to try to figure out what exactly does that mean? 
how far does Jesus really mean for me to go with what he just said? And we're going to try to rationalize our, ourselves into a position where we're not going to have to fully obey. It's just what we do, right? But he's going to cause us something that's not rational. And I, want you, I just want you to know that up front. It's okay, right? It's okay for you to think that way. My goal today, honestly, is to talk as little as possible so that the Holy Spirit can talk as much as possible. Because sometimes I think, and I, at least I feel this pressure, that, that churches come together and look at the, the dude or the dudette on the platform. Dudette's a fun word, right? And they expect us to answer all those questions. But, but I'm the one preaching it. I've studied this. When, when I get done, it's very possible that you're going to walk out with more questions than you have answers. And I'm okay with that. Because I think the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to answer those questions for you. Right? Does that, that make sense? Of course it doesn't, because I said you'd have more questions, and you're like, what? It's all good. Let's read it. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. This is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, again, we've talked about this. This is what Jesus has done. He's doing it six times in chapter 5. You heard it was said. He'll quote some, something from the Old Testament, and then he'll say, but now I'm saying this. So you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Okay, good, I guess. All right. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other three as well. I'm sorry, the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Are y'all feeling the uncomfortableness of this? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's the Chick-fil-A verse. Did you not know that? So Chick-fil-A, their customer service training is called the second mile. Did you all know that? And that's the verse it comes from. And let me tell you really quickly, in that, in that context, they were forced. The, the Jews were forced by law. If a Roman soldier came to them and said, you have to carry my gear, they had to, by law, carry that gear for one mile. So what they would actually do is they would stand at their house and they would measure one mile in every direction, and they would mark that mile so that when they got to the mile, they could turn to that Roman sol to that soldier and just go, take it from there, jerk. And Jesus says, if somebody asks you to go one mile, I'm saying go the next mile. Go the second mile. So Chick-fil-A, they took that verse, and they said, you know what? What do people expect when they go to a fast food restaurant? Fast food. So if we get our food delivered fast, that's not a win because that's what people normally expect. That's just the one mile. But I bet they would never expect somebody to show up with a pitcher at their table and fill their cup for them. I bet they'd never expect fresh cut flowers in a vase. On, they, so they've gone the second mile. They've exceeded the expectation. They didn't just do what was expected they've gone beyond it right anyway that's the chick-fil-a verse that was totally free okay <laughs> verse 42 let's continue give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you everybody just clenched their wallets and purses a little tighter right there verse 43 you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I've noticed something about Christians. Christians tend to believe that they're the only ones that can love people. Right? So what we say is, well, if, if an atheist loves somebody, or an agnostic loves somebody, or a Muslim loves somebody, or a fill-in-the-blank with whoever you think isn't loving God loves somebody, that can't be real love. Because only Christians can love. And I just need to say right up front that Jesus completely blows that out of the water here. Because he just wrapped up that teaching by saying, well, don't even tax collectors do that? Don't even pagans do that? Like what he's saying is the world loves each other. That's the one mile. But I'm asking you to go the second mile. Like exceed that kind of love, okay? So I'm going to give you a big idea. I hope you take a picture of it or, you know, jot it down, whatever. I want you to chew on this. Just think what this says. What sets us apart as believers isn't that we love, but how and who we love. That's what Jesus is going to talk about here. So just loving people is like, great, I'm glad you do that. But even tax collectors who you hate do that, and even pagans who don't really love me do that. So how about let's not settle for that. Let's go the second mile, and let's talk about how we're to love and who we are to love. As followers of Jesus, you and I are called to love people that are impossible to love. Amen. You're like, I know. I'm sitting next to them right now. <laughs> Don't let them know that I know, right? We're called to love people who are impossible to love, but we're also called to love them with an, a love that's impossible to give. As I, as I teach this, you should at times think to yourself, how in the world do we do that? And the answer is we can't, right? Like we actually need the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Father. We need the love of Jesus in our heart so that we can love in, ex in exceeding ways, right? All right, here's what we're going to do. Eleven verses, we're going to split them almost in half. The first five, we're going to talk about how we love and the next six, we'll talk about who we love. So let's do how we love first. Again, these are the ways that we're going to be set apart. How we love and who we love is what sets us apart as believers. Here we go. Three ways. Number one. <laughs> sounded like a top ten list, didn't it? Number one. Um, the first way that we're supposed to love, y'all are so, is graciously how you're loving me right now. You're so gracious. You just love me so well. You're like, you're just adorable, Paul. We put up with you. We just put up with you. So, we love graciously. Now listen, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but um, we live in a world that loves revenge. Right? We live in a world that, like, if you hurt me, you would never do that, I know, but you're like, wow, he nailed me right there. If you, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back, and I'm going to even hurt you more than you hurt me. Is this right? Have you noticed this? So um, I've got a couple, couple illustrations. These are fantastic. Um, here's a lady who um, her, her sign at the game says, my cheating husband's in 129, row 31, seat 7 and 8. I mean, ladies in the house, you're like, I'm feeling that, right? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Some, some of the guys are like, I'm feeling that. <laughs> you know, next, let's see, next one. Um, 
What, what to do when you find out your boyfriend of four years has been cheating on you, not once but twice, but with multiple different girls? Yes, that is his PlayStation. So, uh, listen, this is not part of the message, but to all the young ladies in the house, when you date boys, <laughs> yeah, so don't, don't date boys, date men. You won't have to worry about this PlayStations at all. So, this, remember that first girl that had the sign that pointed out where her, her um, cheating boyfriend and husband was? This next, next lady, she took it to the next level. She wanted to just show her boyfriend at home that she's having fun without him. My cheating ex-boyfriend is watching from his couch instead. So I, I picture this scenario where, like, they had tickets to this event, and she was, like, kicked him to the curb, and she went anyway, and she's, like, holding that sign up. It's like, it's like her going, Bleh, right? And, and those are great. So those are great. Now, that's all about revenge, yes? Now, what Jesus said was, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So if we lived back in the day when that was the law, if you took from me, I was actually, by law, allowed to take back from you the exact amount and no more than you took from me. That's what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we love that, don't we? We love that. So this, this next picture actually is more, it's closer to, to that that scenario. Do we have that? Yeah. When I was eight years old, my neighbor's dog kept pooping on my yard, so one day I pooped on his yard. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> this is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and a poop for a poop is what this is. <laughs> now, I do recognize, I want you to know that I do know that he said poping, Right? But I don't know what poping means. So, um, and at the bottom, he even drew a little stick figure picture, and I think he has actually circled the pope. I mean, the poop, right there. So, th- this is <laughs> this is a little more in line with what we're talking about today, right? If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, and exactly the same way that you hurt me. What I want you to see, though, is that that's not how we're called to love. Even that. And how many of you own dogs? How many of you own dogs, and I actually have neighbors who also own dogs. Have you noticed that dogs never poop in their own yard? Like, it's like they all get together and go, I'm going to go one house to the left, so you come one house to the left. Like, they all, it's crazy. Like, we used to get so frustrated when our neighbor's dogs would poop in our yard. Except then I would look out, and like, our dog was then pooping in their yard. And instead of getting mad, I was kind of like, yeah. Right? That's how it works, isn't it? So, like... Jesus is, he's talking about that heart attitude. Again, you got to talk about the heart. He's always after the heart, not the action. He's after the heart. And so my heart, if our heart is like, hey, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, that's kind of what the world does. The people that love other people, they still do that to one another. We try to get revenge. And what Jesus is saying is don't do that. Don't, Don't love like that. When somebody, instead of taking revenge, give grace, right? And that's it's, it's so countercultural when we should take revenge, but we give grace instead. So we, we, we love graciously. <laughs> Don't just take equal to what was taken, but Jesus says actually give back more than what was taken. Second way that we love. How do we love? We love graciously, and then we love sacrificially. Um, listen, I'm just going to state the obvious. It's going to cost us something to love like Jesus loved. In the in the what, the verse that we just read, it cost a second cheek, 
and it, it cost, I think it cost a coat. They wanted to take his shirt, but he said, hey, take my coat too. And then it cost another mile, which that doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're not a runner and you got to go another mile, how many of you know, like, oh, God, that's tough, right? So, like, an- like those are three. <laughs> don't point people out. Dude, I mean, I saw you point at him, but don't point people out. Anyway, it's going to cost us something to love like Jesus loved. You know, um, how many of you... How many of you know that um, <laughs> you feel love, right? Have you ever, like, you feel, like, love feels good, doesn't it? Um, I, I, I kept thinking as I was preparing for this, I remember, I still remember the first time I ever held a girl's hand. It was awesome. We were at the movies together. I, I paid for the movie, and um, it was a silent movie. But anyway, <laughs> we were, we're, we're sitting there, and it took about 15 minutes to hold her hand. Because as we sat there, I had my hand, on, you know, on my leg, and she had her hand on her leg, and it was like a fourth field, you know. I was like, it was, it was, oh, there's her hand, there's her hand, and it took 15 minutes for me to, to stretch. And then she, she like looked up. And when we finally made contact, holy, I mean, do y'all remember that moment? Am I the only one? You're just like, your entire insides are like, like in your head is like, it's go time. You know, it's like crazy. And it felt like, it's like lightning just goes through your body. It feels so good. And you can't do the interlocking fingers the first time because that's way too intimate, right? So, but like just love feels good, y'all. But when we love like Jesus loved, it doesn't always feel good. We feel something a little bit different, right? So Luke chapter 24, verse 46 says this. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will what? Suffer. So when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't feeling that electric hand-holding thing, right? His love was hurting him he suffered when we love like jesus we're going to feel it because jesus felt it when we love sacrificially we're going to feel it so this is not one of those sermons where you walk out going that was great man i can't wait to give love like that it hurts to love like that parents in the house who have loved your kids through thick and thin to hell and back and back to hell and back you know what I'm talking about. It hurts. It hurts. And for you to come to a church that says, man, just smile and get over it, right? God's good all the time. All the time, God's good. And you're like, well, right now it sucks. Like, it hurts to love like that. But that's what he's saying to do, to love sacrificially. I've given and given and given, and now you're asking me for more. And Okay. Right, And this is the part where we're going to try to rationalize our way out of it. But I'm just saying, listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him give you wisdom and guidance in your relationships. Here's a third way. How do, we, how do we love? We love graciously, we love sacrificially, and then we love generously. Verse 42 says, give when it's asked and don't turn away the borrower. And why is that so important? Because when we do that, we're just like our Father. Listen to how he gives. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. This is how God gives. Matthew 7, 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who, what? Richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Man, God is a generous father. You ever had a teacher in school and you didn't know the answer, you didn't know how to do the problem, and you wanted to ask them for help, but you were scared to ask them for help? Because you knew that if you raised your hand and asked for help, they were going to make you feel horrible for needing to ask for help. Do you remember those people? If you're a teacher here like that, we love that you're a teacher, but just stop doing that. <laughs> because James chapter 1 says that God's not like that. It actually says that if we lack wisdom, we should ask God who gives generously the wisdom that we need. And it also says he does it without, I think like some, is it King James is like up, upbraideth you or something? What, like what is that? Is that like reverse, reverse braid on your hair? I don't know what that is. It actually means that he doesn't shame you. He doesn't make you feel bad for needing wisdom. He just says, oh, you need some wisdom? Here. Uh, here, take some more and some more. And he's like a southern mom, right? You want some more food? I'm good. No, take it. Take it. Take it. And take it home. And here's some more. I prepared a cooler. Like he doesn't make us feel bad. So when we give and when we love generously, we're actually loving like our father. And it's hard to do, right? Generous people in the house that have given and given and given and loved and loved and loved. It's hard, but it's who God is. And so a common response, listen, a common response to these kind of verses is to ask ourselves questions like, wait, do we really need to lend to everyone? Am I really supposed to turn my cheek every time? And so what I want to encourage you to do is this. I believe the only proper response to the word of God is yes. Now, now hear what I'm saying. There are boundaries there are healthy boundaries, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to teach you where those are. It's not mine. Because every one of us have a unique situation. And so when we start with a yes to the word, our obedience to that opens our heart to hear the Holy Spirit when he says, how about not right now? Okay, does that make sense? And you've got to learn how to lean into the Holy Spirit like that. I can't do that for you. It's not my job. My job is actually to lean into the Holy Spirit so I'll know when to turn a cheek, when to give a coat, when to walk a second mile. But our default has got to be, yes, Lord, whatever you ask of me, I'll do. I will love how you ask me to love. Now, the next six verses deal with who we love. As I was reading this, I don't know how you read the Bible, but I kept thinking, God, this would be great. It would be great if I could read these six verses and you would actually list the names of the people I'm supposed to love. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, we would all read the same verses, but as we're reading, like, somehow you would have names, like, hovering over the text, and I would have names hovering over the text, and I'd be like, oh, Ralph is who I need to love like this, right? But he doesn't do that. He's not going to tell me names or you names. He's definitely not going to tell me names for you. But here's what's going to happen. We've already talked about how we're supposed to love. And now we're talking about like types of people that we're supposed to love, who we're supposed to love. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, is going to bring somebody to your mind. And you need to write that name down. 
Because that's him telling you that's the who for you. Ooh, that was, that rhyme, that's fun. That's the who for you. Cindy Lou who, who? I felt like that was a much better joke, honestly. Because y'all were like, snow's gone, bring on spring. I'm not thinking about Christmas. I'm always thinking about Christmas. Anyway, so here we go. I want to point out, first of all, that when Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, that's not in the Old Testament. This is the only time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives a command that's actually not a command. The only command in the Old Testament is love your neighbor. Never in the Old Testament, and you feel free to Google it while I'm preaching, you'll never find one reference in the Old Testament that commanded God's people to hate their enemy. What Jesus was saying was, you were given a command to love your neighbor, and you rationalized it to the point that it only applied to people that you like, and so therefore you have hated your enemies and you have taught that for generations and so that's why Jesus said like here we are talking and what you've heard is this but I'm going to give you something different okay I just want to make sure you knew that it's not in the Old Testament and you feel free to google it if you want to here is what he is pointing to Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 this is the command it says do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbor as yourself I am the Lord so what the Pharisees heard was Hey, we're not supposed to hold a grudge against our people. So for the the sake of the illustration, we would be our people, right? And so that's the command. Hey, if they're your people, don't hold a grudge against them and love your neighbors yourself. And so they said, well, if we're not supposed to hold a grudge against our people, then I guess our people are our neighbors, and so we'll love them and hate everybody else. And Jesus is correcting that here. He's like, that's not what I'm saying at all, right? He said, hey, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love them. Pray for them. And we take this and we sanitize it to the point that it means this. It means something like this. Hey, love your enemies. Well, who's your enemy? That lady who jumped in line at Walmart. The person who flipped me off in the traffic. We, we sanitize it. Like, that's not it at all. I mean, those, they might be an enemy, but Jesus, he's, he's dealing with, like, actual enemies, actual people who live and breathe that we hate. So can I sensitively suggest a few? Okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And before I do this, let me just disclaimer it, okay? Because I'm going to say a name, and this is where things felt like they tanked in the first service, so hold on. Tanked is not a good word. It just got really quiet, okay? I know that we are Americans, and I love our country, right? But when, and I know that there are times that we have to defend our country. But when we hear love your enemies, can I just name one common enemy? ISIS is an enemy. Now, if we read this correctly, then what Jesus is saying is, he's not saying don't defend your country. He's not saying don't fight. He's just saying love your enemies. And I would ask this question of myself, and you can listen as I talk to myself. Do I love ISIS? Not what they stand for, not what they do, but the people who were a part of that, who were at one point in, in, in their mother's arm, just like I was, a soul created by God, knit together in their mother's womb. Psalm 139 applies to them just like it does to me. Do I love that person? Not what they've become and not what they might do. 
but do I love that person? And that's hard. Now you're like, oh, I see why that first service tanked. Right? Because that's really, isn't that hard to wrestle with or is it just me? That's difficult. Let's bring it closer to home. <laughs> you're like, please don't. <laughs> but you know me, I'm just like a doctor. Does it hurt yet? Does it hurt yet? Does it hurt yet? In this room are registered Democrats and registered Republicans. This is 2020, the year of vision. So cheesy. Also, the year of conflict in our country. It's a big year in our country. And I'm not even talking about the election. I'm talking about, like, are we going to kill each other? Right? So if you're a registered Democrat in this room, then you believe that Donald Trump is your enemy. I'm just saying not you personally, but like that's kind of the narrative in our, in our country. Now, check this out. If you think that, that's fine. You can think he's your enemy all day long. The question is, do you love him? Now, if you're a registered Republican, you watch the Democrat debate making fun of those people because you think they're the enemy. And I'm okay if you think they're the enemy because Jesus said that we will have enemies. My question is, do you love them? You're like, yeah, that's, that's way too real. Let's go back to ISIS. Yeah, right. So this is the point. The point is that we rationalize ourselves out of the radical love that Jesus is calling us to. And I don't have answers for it. I don't know what that looks like. But you know what? I want to live it. I want to live in a movement that loves like that. And so do your friends and so do your neighbors and so do your enemies. They want to be a part of a love like that. And instead we've sanitized it and rationalized it to make it the people that just bother us a little bit. Oh, I know who my enemies are. The IRS. I don't think so. Like, I know the closer we get to April, they're going to feel like it, but I don't think that's who he's talking about. He's actually, mm, I can't believe I'm going to say this, he's actually talking about you and me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Drop down two more verses, verse 10. For if while we were God's what? Enemies. Can I just say it like this? You and I were God's ISIS. Oh, I just had this amazing moment where I thought, what if this goes viral? It just scared the snot out of me too. <laughs> but we were his ISIS. If we believe the Bible, then you and I wanted to do to Jesus what they want to do to us. Wipe the earth of him. We nailed him to the cross. We just read it. We were his enemies. We nailed him to the cross. You ever heard, um, man, evangelists did this all the time. If you were the only one on earth, Jesus would have died for you. You ever heard that? It's true. But if you were the only one on earth, he would have died for you after you killed him. There'd be nobody else there to nail him to the cross but you. Nobody else to put the, thon the, the crown of thorns on his head but you. Nobody else to mock him but you. We were his enemy. And he loved us sacrificially. He loved us graciously. He loved us generously as his enemies. That was before we ever loved him back. And he's calling us to love our enemies like that. Real talk. Listen to this statement. We're okay loving the broken because it makes us 
heroes. We're not okay loving our enemies because it makes us targets. And that's why we don't want to do it. Because it's vulnerable to love your enemies. And again, I've said this so many times. I'm not preaching this like an expert. I'm preaching this like a child of God who reads the same Bible that you do. And I can't get away from these verses. What does it look like to love my enemy like that? (laughs) And then, like, I think that's enough, right? But then he wraps it up with two more verses, verses 46 and 47. So he he identifies two more people. So who are we supposed to love? Neighbors, enemies. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, even your enemy is your neighbor. That's why he told us the, the, the good Samaritan parable, right? Because even our, even our enemy is our neighbor. And then two more groups. Verse 46. He says, if, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? So who's the third group we're supposed to love? People who don't love us. And then verse 47. And if you greet only your own people, don't even pagans do that? Fourth group. People who aren't like us. We're supposed to love people who aren't like us, who don't love us, who want nothing to do with us. We're supposed to love those people. So we're going to wrap this up quickly. Let me just say this um, as we kind of land it. The Sermon on the Mount is not one of those sermons that's going to make us get up from our chairs and say, we can do this. The Sermon on the Mount is actually a sermon that's going to make us get up from our chairs and go, I hope I can do that. So You ever had a coach believe in you? Have you ever had a teacher believe in you? And they they pulled things out of you that you didn't even know were in you, right? That's kind of how Jesus is with the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching this and he's teaching this. And what he's saying to us is this. If you're my follower, this is in you. This is who you are. This is your identity. You you, you don't feel like you can do it, and I agree it's hard, but you can do it because I'm giving you a new heart. That heart of stone, it's gone. The one that wanted to get revenge, it's gone. The one that now wants to forgive, the one that now wants to have reconciliation, that's a heart of flesh, and I've given that to you. You've got that. You can do this. But you can't do it without me. That's what he's saying. You can't walk out of here and read a self-help book and pull this off. This only comes from the Holy Spirit. This is what sets Christians apart. Not that we love, but how and who we love is what sets us apart. This is what gets the attention of the world. A couple statements. It's natural to forgive. And is it natural to forgive and love enemies? No. It's natural to love people who love us. It's supernatural to love people who hate us. But when we love like that, it reveals the power of God's love. Now, in a minute, the band's going to come out, and we're probably going to, like, sing a song, and we're going to give you a chance to respond. But before we do, I wanted to show you a real-life example of what it looks like to live out the scriptures that we just talked about. And how awesome is it that this was put onto the evening news of CBS. The whole nation got to watch it, and now you're going to get to see it, too. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son 
Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. See, what sets us apart as believers isn't that we love, it's how and who we love.